The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. Today is the 74th anniversary of D-Day. Now, I don't know about you, but over the years, this anniversary gets sadder and sadder. At first, I remember growing up and there were World War II veterans everywhere and, you know, you could talk to them. But every year that goes by, fewer and fewer men alive were actually in Normandy on June 6, 1944. Those who are still with us are too frail to make the pilgrimage now to France for the anniversary ceremonies like they used to. It's sad that we're losing these people. I mean, it's normal. But once we lose them, once they're gone, we lose that tether to a time when the nation figured out how to be a better version of itself. Not that they were saints. Not that those times were any better than these. I mean, it's, I mean, we rounded up the Japanese. But in some respects, they were better because they understood responsibility. They went, they toughed it out, they didn't whine. They accomplished an increasingly daunted, daunting mission. Sickening, heartbreak, hardship, terror. Today, if, for those who remain that are World War II veterans, thank you. At the end of uh, Saving Private Ryan... Captain Miller, the character played by Tom Hanks. He lays dying and he gives one last instruction to Private Ryan, the young man that he and his unit had sacrificed their lives in, to rescue in Normandy. And all he says is two words. Do you remember what they were? Earn it. In other words, don't waste the sacrifices that were made so that your life could be saved. Live it well. Earn this freedom. Earn it. Can we even say that anymore, that we've earned the sacrifices that were made by the Americans on June 6th, 1944, or at any time that we're earning our freedom? Today, in the name of the game of politics, media, really all walks of life, when it comes to the choices that we make, we deflect, we defend, we shout down, we attack. Where are the leaders? Where are the real leaders among us? And one of the most amazing things in history that nobody really talks about was 5 a.m. on June 5th. Dwight D. Eisenhower. He had consulted with the Allied commanders one last time. This was it. This was the day they had planned for. This is the day they dreaded. This was the day... Everything turned. The weather was unpredictable. It had been bad for so long. The military was like a caged animal waiting every day. And then one of the largest gambles in history. It came down to one guy, Eisenhower. Ike had to make the call. Early that afternoon, just before, he sat at his portable table and wrote out a press release on a pad of paper. He wrote it out so he didn't have to think about it after the battle had begun and was being lost. 
It was a contingency just in case the invasion didn't succeed. He wrote it, and he kept it with him that day. He wrote in his own hand, Our landings have failed. I have withdrawn the troops. My decision to attack at this time and place was based on the best information I had available. The troops, the air, the navy, they did all that bravery and devotion to duty. They did all of it that they could do. If any blame or any, any fault attaches to the attempt, it is mine alone. A million things could have gone wrong. But in advance, he took responsibility. Honor, duty, sacrifice, personal responsibility. These used to mean a lot more. I think they will again. They have to. Man always goes through cycles. We're just in a downturn of that personal responsibility cycle. Everybody seems to want something for nothing. Everybody is feigning to be a victim. It's not too late for us to rediscover those traits as a country. <laughs> it's funny because we've been in the position before where all seems lost. And the whole world seems lost. And then at the last minute, we wake up. And we live those two words. The last minute, we earn it. It's Wednesday, June 6th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Today on uh, television, we're going to be sharing another tribute to uh, D-Day that is is pretty powerful. Uh, a stark reminder of how hard it was on that day, 74 years ago, as we stormed the beaches of uh, Normandy and just were slaughtered. We were just slaughtered, but we took the beach. An amazing sacrifice. And for what? You know, it wasn't for gold. It wasn't for treasure. Uh, it, it was for an idea. It was for an idea that this, this monster was trying to tell everybody what to think, what to do, how to live, how to raise their children, how to work, who should live, who should die. It was just this, it was, it was unthinkable. It was just unthinkable in a world that it had, had exited that world. We had left, the West had left behind the darkness of the Dark Ages and Middle Ages, where one man could just decide whatever he wanted. Then he could just take whatever he wanted. Then he could grind people in the machinery that he had built. That was unthinkable. That was throwing us back to the Dark Ages. There's a new way. There was a way that Americans truly understood at that time. At least better than we do now. All men are created equal. And I know, I know. 
then you can say, well, were they really all equal? No, they weren't. Man has never, never gotten their arms around that. No matter where you go, no matter what the philosophy is, there's somebody always under the thumb of somebody else. Society always deems somebody at the lower level of the ladder. But it's an idea that we're supposed to strive toward. Not just say, well, that didn't work. No, we're never going to get it right. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to ebb and flow. But right now there is this, this effort to, to discredit not only the people that came up with that idea, but the idea itself. Just throw that out. Why would we throw that out? All men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why would we throw that out? Well, right now, there's an effort uh, to make sure that everybody knows that our founders are just, they were so racist. They were so racist. How could Thomas Jefferson ever, ever write those words? What a hypocrite. Well, he was a complicated man. Really? So he writes, all men are created equal, and he doesn't even think of the slaves? The Declaration of Independence, not a word about slavery. This has been the greatest privilege of my life. The privilege of being able to have access, which you do. It's just online. To have access to the original writings and documents. Yesterday, we were doing a piece on... on uh, uh, the Second Amendment and how people are trying to twist the words of the Second Amendment and what was the original intent? What is the argument they're making? And is there anything to that? And because we're having our museum next week and uh, it's this little pop-up museum and it's all about the rights and responsibilities, we brought in the, uh, the, the engraving of the first draft of the Declaration of Independence. It's from the 1800s, early 1800s. And it is an exact copy or an exact engraving of the first draft that was written in June 1776, all in uh, Thomas Jefferson's own hand. And you see John Adams and Benjamin Franklin in their own handwriting, scratching things out and changing things. It's amazing. It's an amazing document. And it's going to be on display uh, here at the Mercury Museum next week. Uh, but as we were sitting there and we were getting ready for the, the show to start yesterday, Stu and I were looking at it, and I was upside down from it, and I've had this document for a long time, and I've never really read it all the way through. And as we get to the usurpations, those are all the lines. There were just one lines. And the king did this, and the king did this, and the king did this. And this is why we're breaking away, because the king did this. There's a whole paragraph. And it stuck out, because as I'm looking at it, I'm standing on one side of the document. Stu is reading it from the other side. And I'm looking down, and I can see Christian King all in capitals. And I said to Stu, what is that? And he's like, I'm just reading it now. It's amazing. Now, this is in Thomas Jefferson's own hand. Slave owner. 
Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Evil slave owner that, yep. had, that didn't want to write anything at all about slavery in the Declaration of Independence. This is from his draft that he wrote by himself in a room while his wife was miles and miles away dying. He's writing this. Talking about the king. He has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. This piratical warfare, the opprobrium of infidel powers, is the warfare of the Christian king of Great Britain, determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold. He has prostituted his negative for suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or to restrain this exorable commerce. So, so what did he just say? First of all, every single problem they had with a king, every single one prior to this is one line. This is a paragraph. Yeah. And what is he saying? This guy is is mocking all of mankind and 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 sinning against mankind by going over to a foreign land, grabbing people who never did anything to him, s- sending them over on a boat, moving them to a different hemisphere, enslaving them. If they make it, the journey they probably are going to kill. It's a horror-filled journey. And then he's doing everything he can as we try to abolish slavery, he is standing in our way. Well, wait a minute. What? what? I thought they were all slave owners that didn't care. And pretending to be Christian while doing it. Yeah. Yeah. They actually are mocking. They're saying, you think this guy's a Christian? He's trying to, he's trying to continue this market where people are bought and sold. I mean, he's blatantly against slavery here. And we've talked about this before in that he did have slaves. However, he, it was illegal for him to free those slaves. Yes. Um, so that is a big a big asterisk and to he, that whole and story. And he tried to change that law several times. Several times. And he couldn't get that law changed. And as he's a complaining, you know, in the rough draft of the Declaration of Independence. Now, later on, uh, South Carolina and Georgia... And some, there were some factors in the North as well, uh, businessmen who did not want this practice to end, and they wound up taking this paragraph out. Right, but it was it was at the request of two slave states. Mm-hmm. Now you could sit here all high and mighty and say, "Well, why did they just? They should have just let Georgia just walk." They couldn't. They couldn't. Because if they did, they would all, it, it, freedom would be over. Why? Read the next line that he wrote. Uh, let's see. Uh, tried to, again, the suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or restrain this execrable commerce. And that this assemblage of horrors might want no fact of distinguished die. He is now exciting those very people to rise in arms among us. And to purchase that liberty of which he has deprived them. Okay, so and murdering the people upon whom he's also obtruded them. Okay, so what is he what is he saying there? He's saying, on top of that, he will not let us free them. He will not let us stop this horror. But now he is going in and he is trying to give slaves money 
to fight us. <laughs> he enslaved them, and now he's paying them to come and and kill all of us. What is what? Do you, what, what, what? They couldn't let those two. This line isn't in there, but the king was a douche. Let's be honest <laughs> yeah, about okay, it. Yeah, well, uh, okay. Again, it's not, it wasn't, it's not in there. It wasn't in there. It should but, be in there. Right. Uh, <laughs> real quick, read the line before one of the other reasons why we broke away from England. Okay, there's a whole paragraph, mm. but each line is just loaded. Most all other offenses by the king were just one line. Read yeah. this one. He has incited treasonable insurrections in our fellow subjects with the allurements of forfeiture and confiscation of our property. Civil asset forfeiture mm. was a reason we broke away from England. And you pointed out, Glenn, you usually get to access these online. Not the case this coming weekend. Or not this coming weekend. The weekend, weekend of Father's Day. Yeah, June 12th and 13th. Right? No, 15th, 15th through the 16th. 17th. 17th, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> all right, that's I'm, all right. I'm looking at the wrong thing. Um, but uh, that's a uh, pretty big deal. Yep. Uh, and you can actually see that document along with many, many others. Yep. And uh, it's going to be an incredible experience. And join us here in Dallas, Texas at the Mercury Studios. Uh, rights and responsibilities. You can get your tickets now at mercuryone.org slash museum 2018. You can take uh, special tours with me or one of the other guys uh, or, or just join us. I'm going to be here all weekend. All of us are going to be here. We really want to see you June 15th through the 17th. Great Father's Day gift. Tickets are on sale now. Mercuryone.org slash museum 2018. All right. Let me tell you that the, the uh, June Fed meeting is coming up on the 12th and 13th. Economists are overwhelmingly predicting that the Fed is going to raise interest rates if you have found a home that you're interested in financing or if you're interested in taking advantage of today's competitively low rates do it now before the 12th meeting american financing can help whether you're buying your first home your next home an investment home let american financing customize the right loan program for you they're not a bank they don't work for anybody but you so they're not trying to jam down your throat a loan program that the bank wants Pre-qualify in 10 minutes, close in as fast as 10 days. American Financing, salary-based mortgage consultants that don't work on commission, they work for you. An A-plus rating with a BBB and over 1,700 Google reviews. They offer e-sign. You can complete your documents from the comfort of your own home. There's no upfront fees. They use every single loan available, and they're going to customize it for you. Licensed in all 50 states, it's AmericanFinancing.net. That's AmericanFinancing.net, or call them now, 800-906-2440. 800-906-2440, AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. So Howard Schultz from uh, Starbucks, I, I don't think he's running for president. Do you, Stu? I mean, oh, he just not. came out and said, you know, the, the guy who just closed Starbucks, okay, uh, he comes out and says, you know, Democrats, you, you've got to be more moderate. You're, I mean, you're becoming crazy. Uh, really? Really? Mm. Did you just close Starbucks for the day to, because... Two people who didn't abide by the rules were 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 asked to leave, and all of a sudden, it's the crime of the century. It's like the Lindbergh baby; it was stolen. Yeah, that was a I must react in a way that will serve set my me, future campaign. Set me up right? to be president. Yes, look how seriously I took this. Of course, you can trust me as your Democratic nominee. It definitely seems like that's what he's going for. Yeah, yeah. And, and then immediately get out. So any of the backlash from that on sales or anything else, you know, well, I laughed. I don't have any. 
do with that, really. And immediately, as the door is still swinging closed, you're like, hey, you guys, we all have to moderate here and not be so crazy and reactionary. Mercury. Glenn Beck and his wife, Tanya, started Real Estate Agents I Trust because they personally were frustrated trying to sell their home. Uh, Most people have had a very bad experience when they hire a family member or a friend that is forced on them. And, you know, you're too nice to say no. It's pretty natural, but it usually ends up badly for everybody involved. A home is usually the biggest investment we make in our entire lives. And you need to have rock-solid advice because if you screw up buying or selling a home, you are, wow, that you're, it's a disaster. Your financial uh, situation is going to be awful. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a network of over 1,200 agents all over America that are rigorously qualified by Glenn's team. Their experience, their marketing plans, character, the results that they get for their clients. That's how they figure this out. And they share your values. They listen to the show. Good people and good real estate agents at realestateagentsitrust.com. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com right now, realestateagentsitrust.com. Let these agents earn your business. Get moving with realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So Stu will give us a quick rundown on uh, the California uh, primaries yesterday, anything that was important. Uh, we'll get to that here in a second. There is also a candidate running for the third district in uh, in uh, Utah, and he is a, a guy who is, you know, another Mike Lee. He's a guy who, you know, wants to go down that road uh, and hold the GOP's feet to the fire. His name is uh, Chris Herod, and he is with us now. Hello, Chris. How are you? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on, Glenn. So um, tell me about the Republican congressman that you're running against right now. Well, you know, we had a special election last summer for Jason Chaffetz, but, you know, he's a former Democratic chair, uh, you know, in in Utah. He switched uh, three days before I ran against him when I ran for the Utah House and ended up being appointed to go to the Utah House a decade ago. And so... You know, he has a very spotty record. And, you know, we had a debate this week, and he called me an extremist because, you know, I'm a platform Republican. If you want to know how I believe, look at the platform. And I'll vote like Mike Lee and Ted Cruz. Uh, but, but that's kind of how it is even in Utah where, you know, a platform Republican is being called out to be an extremist. You know, he, ha- he had as a uh, mayor, he hired a sanctuary city police chief that said he wasn't going to help the feds, in, you know, do immigration law. Um, you know, um, un- unfortunately, that police chief is Provo City right now. There's a sexual harassment lawsuit against that police chief, and uh, the mayor, uh, you know, had numerous opportunities, according to the lawsuit, to, to fire him and didn't. So, there, you know, there's a big difference uh, in the way that we see the world. So the Second Amendment, he is currently, this is Jason Chaffetz's old seat, um, you're, the guy you're running against currently on the Second Amendment is, is for uh, taking away their right to own a firearm until you're 21. Yeah, no, that, that's a big difference. For me, you know, as we've had conversations before. You know, I've, I've taught in the former Soviet Union. You know, I have friends that lost both their parents to Stalin's gulags. You know, I have a business partner from Ethiopia that the communists came over, took the guns away, and, you know, within a decade having, you know, uh, had to shout, shout red terror as teenagers were, uh, you know, being shot down. And so for me, the Second Amendment is, is you cannot take that away. Because to me, it's actually an insult to our men and women around the world that can carry a fully automatic weapon, and then you're telling them they can't come home and 
purchase a 22 rifle until they're 21. I, I just cannot believe that anybody would think that that's a good idea. Chris, when, when, when you were over in the former Soviet Union, what, what did you learn? What did you take away from that? You know, for me, the biggest thing is a lot of people talk about socialism. For, for me, it is not theoretical. You know, my wife literally bears the scars of socialized medicine. I can say without any problem that socialism is wrong. It robs the individual of their full potential. It weakens the family. And it eventually morally bankrupts society. And yet our youth, our youth don't get that today. And, you know, I'm a big believer that, you know, not only do our uh, congressmen uh, need to stand up and vote right, but they need to get up and teach these principles. We have lost that. I mean, I, I was, I, I spoke at a Second Amendment rally about two months ago at the Utah Capitol, and, you know, I thought this was great. There was 400 people, you know, talking about how the Second Amendment could help us with school safety. And then I went around to the front of the Capitol where the, you know, the anti-gun people were having a rally, and there was eight to 10,000 people shouting, you know, Utahns for gun control, Mormons for gun control. And I was absolutely frightened. You know, I thought I was in 1930s Germany, seeing, you know, Hitler's youth taking away guns, because I, I know where it leads. And, and the problem is, is these same kids that were speaking at that rally, they were talking about every other progressive, uh, uh, you know, agenda. And they don't realize that uh, that system always leads to authoritative rule and loss of freedom. And they were calling people Nazis. And, you know, Nazi stands for National Socialist. You know, the, the philosophy that killed the most people last century was socialism. You look at, you know, what uh, Stalin did. Stalin uh, starved this 7 to 11 million Ukrainians in my wife's native country, and yet our youth don't realize they're going to need the Second Amendment if we keep going down this socialized path. When you were over there, you, um, you knew a former uh, MiG pilot uh, and his family. Well, actually, that was at, in Provo's Freedom Festival. I actually got to know him. It was Victor Belinko. He, you know, he's the one that defected in the 1970s. He flew with his countrymen trying to shoot him down. He right. landed in Japan. I, I met him. I actually met a family, you know, at, this, at the Provo Freedom Festival. They built a homemade hot air balloon and flew from East Germany to, to West Germany. So I've been fortunate in my life to meet lots of individuals that have paid a high price for freedom. But, you know, for me, it's just frightening that, that our children don't understand, you know, how lucky we are and how easy it is to lose freedom. So, Chris, we have sent a lot of people to Washington, D.C., and I'd say 80 percent of them just, you know, turn out to be disappointments uh, at best. Only a few like Mike Lee stand and 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 I mean, they, they are under enormous pressure. What makes you think you're going to be able to go there and and. I mean, the enemy is not the progressive left as much in Congress as much as it is the progressive right. No, that's exactly right. You know, I, I, the way that I point that, you know, I stood up here in, in the state of Utah for, you know, I've been called all sorts of names, racism, you know, fascist, unchristian, uncompassionate, just because I believe that immigration should be done legally, and I've, I've stood against it, uh, you know, illegal immigration. And so I've had a record of standing up, taking on the establishment, but I also, you know, I, uh, I have a beautiful wife that if, you know, I ever went any other way, uh, you know, would constantly remind it. You know, you talk about your wife, you know, keeping you on the straight and narrow. Uh, my wife would do the same, you know, but I've, I've paid a high price here in the state of Utah. I've lost contracts because, you know, I spoke for truth 
And so I have a record of doing that. And, and for me, it's not, it, it's not, it hasn't been the easy path. I'm, I'm still kind of by nature a shy person. I have to overcome all these things. But I believe so much that our country is in jeopardy that it's just not worth it for me to go and immediately cave if I went back to D.C. Chris, uh, where do people go to get involved with the campaign? Uh, HerodsforCongress.com. Um, you know, that's Herod, uh, like the bad guy in the Bible, but with two R's. Uh, you know, H-E-R-R-O-D uh, for congress.com. I, you know, I'd love to have some comments. I'd, you know, if you feel like donating, I'd love to have you go there. But, but I believe these are the elections of our lifetime, and, and we need people. It's, it's not, if, you, if you think you can send me back uh, to D.C. and I'll solve all your problems, I'll do my part. But I think it's time for all of us to pledge our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. Chris, thank you very much. God bless. You You bet. Thank you very much. Um, I think we found an official slogan there, like the bad guy in the Bible. That's, uh, (laughs) I don't think, is that going to be on any campaign signage? I don't don't think so. (laughs) Chris Herod, uh, herodforcongress.com, H-E-R-R-O-D, for congress.com. You can get him at Herod, the number four Congress on Twitter. It's important that you um, protect your, your home, your family, when they are home. You need a great security system. How many home security system companies are out there that think, you know, how can I really make this better uh, for people by doing things that, you know, I don't have to do, like protecting privacy? One of the things I love about Simply Safe is they really, they are regular people just like you, and they still think just like you. That's why years ago, they came to me, maybe three, four years ago, and they said, hey, look at this, this is our new camera, blah, blah, blah. And it was great, and it worked really well. It was great, and it didn't come out, and it didn't come out, and it didn't come out. I sat with them, and I said, so whatever happened to the camera? And they said, well, we were thinking about it. And as we were putting it in our own homes you know, to try it out, we were like, I, I'm not comfortable with somebody with just an open lens in my house all the time. Wow, really? And they're like, yeah, I mean, and everybody else has to feel that way. So they redesigned the whole thing spent like a couple of years trying to get a a lens cover that you could hear open and close get the right kind of metal that made the sound could be durable for thousands and thousands and thousands of openings and closings something that would make sure that you know they're protecting you from bad guys that are trying to get into your home and break in but they're also protecting you from bad guys who are going to try to you know view you from afar it's simply safe Find out all about Simply Safe and why millions of Americans are now using this. You're going to save a buttload of money. There are no strings attached uh, and there's no contract. Save 10% right now on your home security system from Simply Safe by going to simplysafebeck.com. That's simplysafebeck.com. Now there's, um, there's a new poll out that shows that Americans are just tired when it comes to the the news they're just tired they they just can't take it anymore i don't, I don't know i don't know if you fit in that poll but i i am i'm i'm tired of i i'm tired of the media and i'm just tired of the dishonesty that's what i'm tired of look just just tell me who you are and 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 tell me what you really believe and let's work it out from there but instead we're just arguing back and forth and the media is not doing anything to help move 
the discussions forward. They've, they've gone insane. There was a story out yesterday that we're not, ta- you know, the rest of the media is not talking about because, um, well, we, we, we have to, you know, hear the latest of Stormy Daniels or Samantha B or whatever it is. The Eagles didn't, the Eagles, did you see what happened with the Philadelphia Eagles? Did you, did you hear anywhere that uh, Medicare now is going to go broke three years earlier than expected? It's going to, it's going to go broke. It's expected to completely run out of money by 2026. That's earlier than projected. 2026. Don't worry, that's only seven years away. I'm sure we can come up with a plan. We're not talking about that. It it was sad to see that we we are talking about Kate Spade. It was sad. It was good to see that we were talking about it. Sad because of what it meant. But as I was reading the comments, I again I was fatigued the people who were saying well that's just what weak-minded people do that's just what people do who are selfish really if you don't know kate spade is the purse person that made all these purses and became a very famous designer and then lost control of her company i mean she sold her company she sold like 56% of her company and, and her name. And so she couldn't do anything under her name anymore because her name had become a product. And she was fine for that at the beginning with the exchange. But then mental illness set in. And make no mistake, it is mental illness. You don't come to a place to where you say, I want to kill myself. Everything... Everything, everything in the human psyche is built to stop you from dying. Every little creepy feeling when you get too close to an edge, to the spider senses that are saying something's not right here, I shouldn't be here. All of that, all of that is protection so you don't die. It takes extreme mental issues to be able to get to the point to where you say I'm better off dead and so are all the people around me and it's a lie people were writing last night how selfish it was for for a mother to do this I, I, I know my mother did this exact thing when I was about the age of Kate Spade's kids. It screws you up for life. You never get over it. My nieces and nephews were the same age that I was when my mother killed themselves, when their father killed himself. They haven't recovered. It's been 
a decade and a half. You never do. As somebody who has been in clinical depression, somebody who has gone through a period of my life where I honestly considered killing myself, there's a huge difference between that and every bad time that I've ever gone through where I thought everything was hopeless and this is never going to end and I don't know how we're going to turn this around and oh my life sucks and whatever it is that's normal there is a different level to where you start thinking to yourself I'm so tired I can't do it another day when you start to actually think that it's logical that life is better if you weren't living, that others, their lives would be better if you weren't living. It's a mental condition to take a scarf out and hang yourself, as she did yesterday. The reason why I bring this up is because my life was saved by a guy named Bobby Drees years and years ago in the 80s. And he had gone through depression before, and he recognized it. And he said to me, you are coming with me to the hospital now. And he took me to the hospital pretty much against my will. And I'm alive today because of that. Life is hard. Mental illness is a condition. There is help and treatment. Your life is so great once the clouds start to dissipate. Please get help. Glenn Beck. It's Wednesday, June 6th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. I read an amazing article by a friend of ours, Paul Kangor. Um... It's in the American Spectator. I think it came out last week where he was talking about the Boy Scouts and he said, congratulations on the Marxist progressive victory, the war against the Boy Scouts. It is a fascinating article, and I wanted to bring him on to talk about it. Paul, how are you, sir? Hey, good, Glenn. Thanks for having me on. You are, man, you are one of the braver guys I know. Uh, first of all, your research uh, in all of your books and everything else really, really buttoned up. But man, this is, you are, you are opening yourself up to be the guy who is the king of the conspiracies because you dare say this has been a Marxist, communist, and progressive plot or, or wish since the very beginning of the Boy Scouts. Well, that's right, Glenn. I'm either brave or stupid, you know, yeah, one of the two. But, 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 um, but no, it's, it's absolutely true. And I titled the piece, The Marxist Progressive War on the Boy Scouts. And, and after I had finished writing it, I thought, you know, I better start with a kind of a caveat in the very beginning, just telling people, yeah, I know the title of this article is going to make you probably not want to read it, but please read on. Mm-hmm. And, and when people read on, I mean, they'll see that I included hyperlinks to all the original sources. Which are which are posted at Marxist.org. I will tell you, um, Paul. I followed those hyperlinks. I, I mean, sometimes I follow hyperlinks. 
I followed every one of these hyperlinks because they were the original sources, and yeah. it's shocking. It's shocking. It it's shocking. And, and in fact, they go back. I mean, when I say that this is a century-long assault on the Boy Scout by Marxists, well, the Boy Scouts were founded in 1910, and the first example that I give in the article is a June 1911 piece by, published in Young Socialist magazine, and it's called Why Boys Should Not Join the Boy Scouts. And, you know, they go through, they describe them, pro-war, bloodthirsty, kind of gun-hungry, militarist, capitalist fanatics. And then after that, I give an example from the March 1924 issue of The Young Comrade, and that's called Why We Are Against the Boy Scouts. And, and this one, I mean, this is unbelievable. I've got to read you the exact quote because people will think that I'm making it up when I say that, that they charge that Boy Scouts would, would actually shoot their fathers and brothers. The actual quote here is, Capitalism does not only train the Boy Scouts to shoot and use a rifle for its own interest, but to shoot down his own father and brothers when there is a strike. And you know, that's the kind of thing they, I mean, they said that stuff for decades. I give an example from 1929, the young pioneer, uh, you know, urging people down with the Boy Scouts. In fact, in fact, this one's really insidious, Glenn. I mean, imagine this. There were like 15, picture this scene. You got 1,500 innocent boys from all across America, from California, from Oregon, Utah, the West Coast, the Midwest, and they're, they're all there in New York. And they're about to take the trip of a lifetime on a boat across the ocean to England, where they're going to go to this international jamboree. And a bunch of literal young commies <laughs> right, show up in New York carrying banners down with the Boy Scouts, smash the Boy Scouts, join the young pioneers, and then this one, defend the Soviet Union, right? And, and they're there protesting these, these boys who are probably speechless, thinking, you know, I never saw anything like this in Peoria, right? <laughs> but but, but, that's, but that, they've been, they did that through the, through the 70s. I give an example from the 1970s. They did it into the 90s. The communists have done this into the 21st century. And here's the really sad thing. Everybody, anybody that knew about it, laughed at it or ignored it. And, you know, all these attacks by the far left describing the Boy Scouts as fascists and imperialists and dirty capitalists, none of that stuff ever worked until the 21st century when they started to frame the Boy Scouts as anti-gay, right, as not including girls. And when they did that and they got the ACLU on board and they got the wider progressive left on board, that's where they finally had their, their tool, their approach, their tack, their tactic to, to take down the Boy Scouts. And that's, that's what's finally worked. So where did that turn come? Was that an accident? Were they, how did, do you know how did that turn come to start to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's not go after the warmongering part, if you will. Let's go after the fact that they won't have girls. Did you, have you tracked the, or the origin of that down? Well, it's, it's a good question, Glenn. I think it's more of a kind of different, different elements of the left going in a common direction. And, and I found a May 2001 issue of Party Builder. You've got to love that publication, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're 
subscriber to Party Builder, and it's but it's published at Communist Party USA's website, and right there they were they were citing the ACLU, which was going after the Boy Scouts as being you know quote unquote anti-gay, and so at that point there was finally I think a, a convergence of interests among the wider left, and that's where Communist Party USA said aha right this now this might work. You know, de- describing the Boy Scouts as you know fascists who want to who want to murder their fathers and brothers on behalf of uh, against the workers, right? You know, none of that nonsense ever worked. None of that ever stuck. But but this idea of going after them as as anti-gay. Now here's something that might actually work. And and I quote in the piece a July 2017 piece, this is from just last summer, by John Bachtel, who's the current head of Communist Party USA. And he was, he was writing on this massive national jamboree of like 40,000 Boy Scouts mm-hmm. in West Virginia. And, and Donald Trump spoke there, and, and John Bachtel compared it to a Hitler youth rally. A Hitler youth rally, right? And that, that's the kind of rhetoric that they were using in the 1930s, American communists against the Boy Scouts. But here, this time, Bachtel just, just laid out everything, right? The slam against the Boy, the Boy Scouts is militaristic, jingoistic, and then these words, right? Racist and homophobic. And, and they even tried the racist thing 100 years ago against the Boy Scouts. Of course, that didn't work. That was complete nonsense. But, but this homophobic approach, right, that's what's worked. And, and, and for the, the kind of old classical Marxists who moved more in the, in the direction of cultural Marxism based on gender, sexuality, a takedown and redefinition of the family and marriage, uh, that you know that homophobic you know that label that's what that's what has really worked for them in allowing them to permanently redefine and actually even literally rename the Boy Scouts for you know for Scouts now in their adolescence basically 11 to 17 years old 12 to 18 they're no longer the Boy Scouts you know they're they're now. I think just calling them scouts, right? They've taken, mm-hmm. they've literally taken the boy out of Boy Scouts. My wife was shocked when <coughs> a couple of weeks ago, or about right before this happened, or right after this happened, maybe a day or two, she walked into, uh, you know, the scouting headquarters, had to get something, and, and there was a skirt uh, for, for girls to join. Wow. <coughs> and she came and she's like, well, how long has this been in the planning? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. how long has this been going if you, you've already got the skirt uh, yeah. you know, in the, in the, and my son immediately said, I'm out. I don't want to yeah. be around a bunch of girls. I mean, right, he's a 13 year old boy. Well, that's right. He, he's, he's a 13 year old boy. And you know, my 11 year old boy, he, he thinks that way as well. Uh, now maybe the 15, 16 year old boys, they might want to be around. Oh, girls, yes. Right? Yes. Which will <laughs> cause all kinds of different interesting issues. That's right. I mean, <laughs> that creates an entirely different dynamic. And if you're a parent, um, that's probably a dynamic you don't want for your 15, 16 year old boy, right? I mean, that that was a time when there was a time when you could have sent him off to the Boy Scouts camp, and you know it was a way of 
keeping him away from his interests with girls for right. a little while, right? You know, that, that was the advantage of it. But if you go right now to the, to the Boy Scouts website, or excuse me, the Scouts BSA uh, website, it's filled with a bunch of you know, sappy, puffy propaganda pieces all about girls. And, and, and I thought, Glenn, that maybe they would, if I went there, I wouldn't be able to find anything on it other than a general statement on a change in policy. Right. No, they're gung-ho on this. You could tell they've gone from defensive mode to full, like, like recruiting mode, right? This, they, is, this is really like McDonald's um, saying, you know what? We're going to get rid of all of the fried stuff, and we're doubling down on salads. It's, not, yeah. it's just, I mean, they have gutted this organization to where it doesn't mean anything. Right. And that's what happens. I mean, at first it was... I think it was about 10 years ago that the left, the kind of ACLU left, the atheistic left, secular left, they were going after the scouts about merely pledging themselves to God, right? right? I mean, that was part of it. They tried to remove that. And then the issue became gay scout leaders. And then I guess this is this about two or three years ago, the issue was the transgender scouts. And so at that point, if you had a biological biological girl whose gender identity her proclaimed gender identity was a boy then she could be allowed to join and and so all along and, and you know guys like you and i saw this coming and we warned people and they they called us conspiracy mongers haters whatever else but every step of the way the boy scouts would would compromise on one thing thinking, okay, okay, now, now the guys on the left will be happy, right? Now they'll leave us alone, right? Okay, we, we did gay scout leaders, okay? No, as, as soon as you buckle, they keep coming back. It's, it's, it's like they smell the weakness, and they say, now we've got you, right? Paul, now we've got you. Paul, so tell me, how much, how much of a role did this, um, this postmodernism crap that's coming out of our universities and our schools play where there is no truth anymore. There's no absolute truth. There is no male or female. There's, you know, there's, there's nothing. Um, and how much of a role did, did beyond communism, this postmodernist uh, thinking uh, play in this? And, and do you see a way to turn that around? Oh, I, I think that's all of it. And it's all come out of the universities. I mean, this is very much the, the 60s tenured radicals who are now in charge at the universities. I mean, the, the very idea of redefinition of marriage, same-sex marriage, I mean, that came, that changed so quick. I mean, we had people like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. I mean, Hillary Clinton saying, well, I've always believed that marriage should be between one man and one woman. I mean, I wrote a whole book on the faith of Hillary Clinton. I have a whole chapter on, on her traditional stance on marriage. And that all changed within a matter of months between Barack Obama coming out for same-sex marriage. I think that was the Robin Roberts, uh, Robin, mm -hmm. uh, Roberts interview in the spring of 2012. And mm -hmm. then she, I think, around November 2012. Uh, but, but really going back before that, it just all came out of the universities. Uh, Postmodernism in the universities, a uh, kind of radical secular relativism, the idea that there are no moral absolutes, there's no absolute truth, and you know to kind of tie that back to some of the communist thinking, Marx and Engels wrote in the Communist Manifesto. They said communism mo represents the most radical rupture in traditional relations. 
the most radical rupture in traditional relations. We have an 1843 letter from Marx where he said that communism means the ruthless criticism of all that exists. The ruthless criticism, criticism of all that exists, and so that you know that's the hard communist Marxist left. But even then, as you know, Glenn, just the sort of general liberal progressive left, you know, not the Marxist mm-hmm. left, but of course, communists call themselves progressives and vice versa sometimes. But but even among liberals, this strong postmodern streak, it's all now sort of come together where they're all on board for this sort of same cultural revolution here today in 2018. So I have only about a minute. We're talking to Paul Kangor, political science professor um, and um, author of The Marxist Progressive War and the Boy Scouts, American Spectator. you got to read it. It's unbelievable. And please do the hyperlink thing. It's unbelievable. Um, but, um, uh, Paul, let me, let me um, ask you, and I have about a minute left. Have you done any thinking uh, about the ramifications of the loss of this hundred-year-old institution. What do you think this means for our society to lose the Boy Scouts like this? So I think it's sad. I mean, I think it, you know, just aside from what it means about the Boy Scouts, I just think it's a, a broader reflection of how we've lost. We, we've lost so much in, in, in the culture. Uh, the, the war of gender ideology that, that's going on right now, um, critical theory, cultural Marxism, uh, the social justice warriors. Uh, Obama's alma mater, Occidental College, has a Department of Social Justice and Critical Theory. Mm. I mean, this is the kind of thing that's being taught at our universities. Are we? So, are, uh, are we? Are, are, is this a bumpy ride back? A ride from hell back? Uh, or do we come back from that? I I honestly think, Glenn, that anything short of a religious revival. And, and we're and I don't see it turning around. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, but when it comes to this, I, I'm probably Mr. Hell in a handbasket. I I think culturally we're in really bad shape, and really nothing short of of some sort of religious revival, mm. and is 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 going to turn this around. I, I I see it as only getting worse. I mean, even the masterpiece cake shop victory. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily a victory for religious victory. freedom, right? Right, based on how it was written. Yeah. I mean, the, those battles are still going to go on. Read a couple pieces in the New York Times and by other people on the left reacting to the masterpiece thing, and, and they just can't believe that anybody would dare cite their religious faith as an excuse to discriminate yeah. against gay people. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, yeah, um, it's crazy. Paul, thank you so much. Paul Kangor from uh, Spectator. Uh, .org, the Marxist Progressive War on the Boy Scouts. His uh, latest book is also called Dupes, How American uh, Adversaries Have Manipulated Progressives for Over a Century. Dupes. According to Redfin, homes have now sold faster than ever, and that's in April 2018. Prices rose 7.6%. That's a new medium high for the first time. The median price for a home in America is $302,000. That is, that is, that is incredible. Especially if you think, I think, I think my dad paid for our home $15,000 maybe when I was a kid in the seventies, 15 and people are not making much more money. I mean, people are making $40,000, $50,000. How do you afford a $30,000, uh, $300,000 house. How do you do that? 
realestateagentsitrust.com. They're going to help you sell your house and get the most money for it and have the fastest turnaround uh, available. They have over a thousand agents all over America that just like you, and they know what your house is worth. They know your area, and they have a marketing plan that is going to be able to have that house turned quickly. So if you're looking to sell your house or you're looking to buy a house, maybe even in a new area that you don't know, contact realestateagentsitrust.com. You need a real estate agent? You need the best. realestateagentsitrust.com. Welcome to the program. Uh, we are thrilled that uh, we're just a few days away. A week from uh, this Friday, we have our uh, pop-up museum here at the uh, studios in Las Colinas. We have the original handwritten Gettysburg Address on its way. <laughs> it is. That's mind-blowing. So the original handwritten copy of the most famous speech in America. Probably ever given in American history. I think so. I think so. Uh, Right. That's pretty. I mean, wow. Because, I mean, you know, you, you know, phrases from a lot of other famous speeches. You likely, if you went to school in the United States, probably had to memorize the Gettysburg yeah. Address at one point in your life. Yeah. I mean, it's that big of a deal. That's crazy. The original will be here. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to have um, they had the leadership training program going on with Mercury One. Sessions two and three are still coming up. Session two is a cool one because you start the weekend of this museum. Yeah. So you're going to be able to get to see all, I mean, you're going to get to see be, the Gettysburg be, Address. You'll be volunteering at your time of that weekend, I think. I think the the students are going to be, you yeah, know. You're going to be putting it together. They'll be putting it together. So you're, I mean, you're going, I mean, that the, the, the documents, we shared one last hour, uh, the Declaration of Independence, the, the, the first rough draft of the Declaration of Independence, where Thomas Jefferson writes a whole paragraph just excoriating the king for slavery. Who knows that? I guarantee you, you're the exact teacher, opposite. We're told the exact opposite. And that's what this program is. Yeah. You're going to learn the real truth with the original documents. If you want to join, mercuryone.org slash LTP for leadership training uh, program. Uh, mercuryone.org slash LTP. There's a couple seats available in sessions two and session three. Go there yeah. now. Please come and join us for a couple of weeks. Welcome to the program. So very, very glad that you are uh, you're here. There's a couple things we want to uh, we want to tell you about that are, I think are kind of important today. Social Security is um, going to start dipping into their reserves. What 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 reserve what reserves do they? Oh, the life the the lockbox. It's in the lockbox. Oh, okay, it, it is in the lockbox. Lock box, yep. Yeah, they have those all those IOUs. So they're dipping into IO, all those IOUs. Al Gore has the key, and uh, they're gonna get that money from themselves somehow or another. But anyway, we're having to dip into that. Medicare uh, is what uh, out. Absolutely fine. I think is the word the words you're looking for. No, I think it's everything's twenty twenty six, twenty twenty nine that uh, or twenty twenty seven that mm-hmm. that uh, Medicare is doesn't have any more money left. But I I think that's good. We should expand it. We should expand. We we should expand it. Uh, also, um, Stu has a, a story that I mean, if you hate women, oh, you're gonna love. You're gonna love this you're if love you're it. a woman hater. Right, like I know right. you are if you're well, listening to this station. Right. <laughs> I know. Mean, let's yeah. be honest about we it. We all hate women. We all hate women, and mm. you know what? I don't, Glenn. 
You don't. I am above this. Okay. I am, I don't believe. It in sounds the, like virtue signaling. Oh, it is. Right. I'm signaling to you that I have virtue. Okay. All right. And uh, I want you to know that this story about hatred, this one's from Sydney, Australia, but it could be here at any time. It could be here at any moment. Okay. All right. I'm buckled up. I need to hear this. Julia, which is not her real name. We're protecting her identity okay. in this story. All right. Because it's so what she's gone through and prove it. It's got to be horrible. It's horrible. Yeah, it's got to be. So she has been volunteering for a few weeks as a patient escort at the private clinic in Sydney. Mm. Now, the private clinic, um, it, they perform um, mostly women's health procedures. Yeah, most mostly um, probably mammograms. Mostly mammograms, like ninety eight percent mammograms. Yeah, but, well, not mammograms, um, but they refer you to somebody that does. Basically, yeah, basically, and they also they also do another procedure, uh, which is totally pro woman. Uh, it's a pro choice procedure. Uh, oh, it where is. Are they, where it, are they it's the type of procedure. Rip the that, baby apart. Well, there's about fifty percent chance that a woman dies in the process, but it's a pro-woman procedure. I want to make sure you understand. Okay. All right. Okay. That a future right. woman surely, you know, will die about half the time. Mm-hmm. But it's very, it's pro-woman. very pro-woman. All right. So Go ahead. They they have uncovered an incredible scandal here, and this is uh, you're not going to believe what well, it's they've gotta uncovered. It's got to be pretty big. They've Julia's name is not a real name, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Julia had been heard about an incredibly exploitive tactic Mm -hmm. used by religious anti-abortion picketers who approach women going to the clinic you're not going to believe the incredibly exploitive tactic they've they've come up with this time these bastards quote i learned that one of the things they do is specifically target people of color and migrant patients who are trying to access the clinic these bastards they're going after people of color and immigrants to try to have them have children they're going to try to stop them from going into the abortion clinic but it gets much more <laughs> disgusting than that. I don't know how Julie held up. I, I know. Right, well, okay. She heard about this and she figured there's no way. Right. Well, they true. are. I will say that you underplayed the word targeting. Mm-hmm. So Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, right. I'm, I'm glad right. you go, pointed go that ahead. out because yeah. the people understand. Yeah. So the patients are apparently told that if they keep their baby. Oh, my gosh. They will get free legal services and immigration help, and in some cases, free visas. <laughs> you believe what they're doing to these people? All they want to do is have an abortion and kill their person of color from coming into the world. They don't want to, they're not going to come in that way. They want to just erase a person of color. And these evil religious people are coming up to them and saying, hey, you guys, you know what? We'll give you free legal help to help on your immigration issues if you keep your baby. <laughs> now, I, I'm with you. I can see your face you're making right now, which it seems like you're puzzled. And you're thinking to yourself, that can't be true, right? Am I right? You're well, thinking there's no, no I, way someone would be that evil mm-hmm. to stop someone from having an abortion and give them help no. with their legal Legal problems. No, but I don't. You're thinking to yourself right now, no way is this true. <laughs> so Julia yeah. decides to get a hidden camera. A hidden camera. And go undercover. Wow. To reveal the truth of these bastard religious people. Okay, so can I ask, when you mm-hmm. say undercover, does it mean that she just took a camera with her as she was walking? <laughs> 
Well, yeah, Back and forth or yeah, she 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 hit record on her phone. Okay, and, and then right. and then right. she she approached the clinic with a male friend mm. who is also Chinese Australian mm. because it's not just Chinese American or Australian American here well, in Sydney. It's Chinese Australian. You know, I will tell you that England has very few african Americans. yeah almost none almost none. they've almost deleted all of them bastards they seem to be african australians yeah mm-hmm. but they're still called i think if you call them african australians you're a hate monger but that's a whole other thing all right so here's the footage this is going this is going to hurt your soul listen to this bastard okay okay Tr- right. talk to julia our hero uh, sorry this is not a good place let us help you let us help let us help you keep my car Keep my card. Information. Okay. Here's, here's my information. Yeah. That you here. We help. Okay. You're here and we'll immigration help. problems. Legal problems. Medical problems. Uh, immigration. All those things we can help you with. If that's a, that's why you're here. That's what you're worried about. Where you're from. If that's what you're worried about, we can help China. you. I thought, uh, other people, other Chinese people, we've helped. Okay. Help out. If you keep your baby, you call my card, my number. See the card I gave you. Has my number. That's me. And we can help you. Okay. You keep, and you can keep your baby. Okay. What, my name's Paul. What's your name? What's your name? It's your first name. Sarah. 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 Yeah. Yeah, Sarah. And Charles. Charles. Yeah. Okay. Oh. That is so, so, oh, okay. We have hundreds of people. Okay. This is crazy. Is this is this going on? Is this a setup? Right. It is seems like it's fake up? footage. Because right. what the Australian uh, religious person who's anti-abortion, mm-hmm. therefore anti-woman, mm-hmm. is saying here is that he will help them with thousands of dollars of legal help. He will help them through their immigration problems. He will help them through their financial problems. Uh, he will help them in any way possible to just keep your immigrant minority child alive. Anything this group can do to keep your immigrant minority child alive, it wants to do. It's not forcing them to do it. It's not lying they, to them about it. Why it's saying, they, we will offer you any help we can possibly do just to keep this child alive. Why and do, this is being reported as a, a horrible negative. Why do they... Why do they hate immigrant uh, minorities so much right why well, i mean honestly i mean this is a great point because we are told that these groups despise minorities that religious groups despise immigrants right conservative groups certainly do and here's a conservative a gentleman in australia who just wants to stop abortion and is willing to to break down every supposed wall conservatives have just to keep to add to the population of minority immigrant children like, I, just, I, I, I think this is Stu. I think this is what people are tired of. You know that poll, that Pew Research poll I sent to you this morning. Yeah. Um. I, do you, have you had a chance to look at that? Yet? I just saw the email. Okay. So basically, it says that people are just tired of the news and they're tired of politics. They just can't take it anymore. Um. And I think that's why, because we we've so unhinged from anything resembling the truth. We, there's and we know it and we know it you know people i i want to fix immigration i want legal immigration i want to know who's here where they are and when they're going home i want to reward the good 
behavior and and uh, punish the bad behavior. I want to invite the world to come and renew us and make us stronger. But you have to come through the front door, not the side door, not a window, not break in in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. I think that's where most people are. Most people are. But the politicians and the news media, they just they're making everybody into monsters. And I think most people are like, I, I'm not watching this because I'm not a monster. And if everybody else is a monster, I just don't want anything to do with them anyway. And I, I we, we you hear that and only the most this is this is there to addict their people mm-hmm. to outrage. Yeah. It is not to solve a problem it's not to actually uncover anything of value it is merely for the fringe group yeah. to raise money because they will be outraged because that's the pattern and it and it happens on both sides but we just look for things that we know will stir the pot and get people really upset and excited and raise money off of it i'm glad you brought up the addicted outrage outrage thing here because with this story i that is exactly what all the tweets were about they were they were left left-wing pro-choice people saying look at this disgusting tactic these people should be ashamed of themselves that was like the the general theme of the commentary it's like wait a minute if you are a hardcore left-wing activist who just loves abortion is this tactic going to work on you no, you're going to walk up to the abortion clinic and say, no, I don't need your help. Leave me alone. I'm getting my abortion. Mm-hmm. If you are a person, an immigrant, who might not want to go to authorities, who might not want to pop their head out if they happen to be illegal, if they're a minority uh, uh, community member who might not be in the best place financially and needs help in another area, and that's the reason they're resorting to abortion, they, they, want, they might want the child, but they can't, they don't believe that they can do it. Here's a person reaching in and saying, look, I will take away every single obstacle you have if you have this child. Right. That the, is that is an honorable thing to he, do. Well, no, no. Shockingly, not if you are, quote, pro choice. choice. This is opening choices yes. for women. It's opening up options. Sometimes you have no choice on what to do. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, don't know the situation, whatever, and you feel completely at trapped. They, at least that's how they might feel. Correct. Completely trapped. Here is new options, new doors. May not work for you. New choices. New choices. Mm-hmm. They are not actually pro-choice. And nope. as we're seeing with all of the progressive nonsense, it is either their way or the highway. They want the death of this child, period. Period. Yeah. And the audio you heard there was a little difficult because it's on the street and it's through a phone and sitting in her pocket. But you can hear the approach of the guy. He is not you. Damn you. Damn you. And you're in your targeting. Yeah. He's just saying, look, I can help. We've helped hundreds of people like this. If you're having these problems and this is the reason you're here. He even said that if this is the reason you're here, you're having these problems. We can help take those problems away. That is an incredibly, it, it destroys every stereotype of a religious person. It destroys every stereotype of a conservative. And it shows that that life is first, right? You can say that you don't like the immigration policies. You can, under, you can say that you don't like all this other stuff. Life is first. What happened, what happened to the idea that we want them safe but rare? 
No, if you wanted them rare, you would be saying you would be saying yourself as progressives, as the left, let's give these people other options. Maybe they want to keep their baby uh, and we we want to make it Mm -hmm. rare. So let's find out what's the pressure on them. Is there pressure on them? And some no, some yes. Let's relieve that pressure so we can make it safe, but rare. Or do we now understand what you denied for so long being true is true? You don't want it rare. You're looking to increase sales. You know, a lot of people forget that that, that, that's what this is. This is a business. Mm -hmm. They are making money off of this. They have sales projections. Imagine being in the media and uh, being in the meeting at Planned Parenthood where they're having a, a meeting and they're saying, OK, we need more abortions. We, we got to hit our quotas. That's just sick. Hmm. Blinds.com. Blinds.com uh, will change the look of your home. Blinds.com. It really go to blinds.com and see the before and after pictures and it'll just get your imagination going. Blinds.com doesn't you know uh, doesn't just say they're going to really remake your your room they they do it it's incredible the before and after pictures of of blinds.com will show you how a room is suddenly transformed totally transformed blinds.com they'll guide you through the entire measure and installation process for free you get free samples free shipping plus free online design consultation blinds.com the number one online retailers of custom window covering for so many reasons now you'll go to blinds.com and you'll see some of the before and after and and some of them are remarkable some of them are like wow that's really nice a little outdated wow look at it now if you're looking for design ideas, you're looking to see how you can have a before and after experience, go to blinds.com right now. Now through June 11th, you'll enjoy site-wide savings, plus you're going to take an additional 5% off at blinds.com slash back. That's blinds.com slash back. Rules and restrictions do apply. Whew, I- Glenn, I, 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 I Stu, I don't think I could take another story like the one that you just shared, where, where people were offering people going to get an abortion, money and and help, and oh, immigration know. attorneys. I, I can't. I, I could, t- I could top it with these two bastards from Sacred Heart University, who uh, raped this woman. Well, they basically admitted it. Basically, I mean, they, when, when you say when you say basically, yeah, what. Well, well, they, well, they admitted well, to sleeping with her. They said the sex was completely consensual. Now, of right. course, they got r- dragged through the mud and, and are out of school and their lives are ruined. Um, but uh, the victim, mm-hmm. Nikki Yovino, mm-hmm. um, she has now admitted she was lying the entire time. Um, so ha- is there like wow, hashtag- so they, vict- so they victimized her twice. Right. Yes. Wow. Hashtag her not so much. Right. I think is the... <laughs> wow. Glenn... You know, I think the average American is just tired of seeing politics in absolutely everything. We're tired of seeing it in sports. We're tired of seeing it in TV and movies. We're we're tired of seeing it on coffee cups. Just give me a cup of coffee, will you please? During his tenure at uh, at Starbucks, CEO Howard Schultz took every chance to bring politics into your coffee uh, your coffee cup. He did it in small ways, like, you know, rainbow cups, and then in large ways with the initiative to hire 
10,000 refugees and the recent countrywide shutdown of stores so that every single Starbucks employee could undergo anti-bias training. Imagine that. You're saying to everybody in the, say, yeah, we know you've been here and we love you and everything else, but you're a bunch of racists. It's incredible. Um, now, this was just the result of the left that is becoming more and more hysterical as we all are becoming addicted to outrage. Can we all grow up, please? The left has to be in a bad in a bad way when someone as loudly progressive as Schultz expresses his displeasure with the left, as he did now in an interview with CNBC. It concerns me that uh, so many voices within the Democratic Party are going so far to the left. And I ask myself, how are we going to pay for all these things in terms of things like single payer? or people espousing the fact that the government is going to give everyone a job. I don't think that's realistic. And I think we've got to get away from all of these falsehoods and start talking about the truth and not false promises. Holy cow. You know what? There's a guy, there's a guy that I will listen to. I may disagree with everything that he says, but if you're saying, look, we, we can't afford all that stuff. I mean, let's just do the math. Let's just do math. Let's just break it down to the truth and do math. He retired on Monday, 64 years old. He served his two stints for CEO of Starbucks, 36 years. He built the company uh, to the Frappuccino empire that it has become. He earned for himself a net worth in about the $3 billion range. But he was there at the beginning. Almost immediately, news broke after this interview that Schultz is planning to run for a, a candidate to run for uh, the president of the United States in 2020. He told the New York Times, I want to be truthful. You know, I want to I want to tell you, you know, without creating more speculative headlines. But uh, for some time now, I've been deeply concerned about our country and the growing division at home and our standing in the world. However, he also told CNN's Poppy Harlow, quote, I intend to think about a range of options and that could include public service. But I'm a long way from making any decisions about the future. End quote. Uh, he's running. He's running. I mean, you know, he's exploring right now. And if it looks like he could have a chance of win, he'll will. He will run. And I imagine he dreams of running America. Unfortunately, I hope I hope this is wrong, that we don't have a president who wants to just run based on microaggressions and on bias. Although I will take a president that, you know, runs on a campaign of pumpkin spice lattes. I'm just I'm not opposed. It's Wednesday, June 6th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. So, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a an email, uh, or I saw a, a headline about uh, the, the Abraham Lincoln stovepipe hat and his blood-stained gloves, among other things, going up for sale because, oh my gosh, this museum's going out of business. No, 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 it's not. I called and we reached out right away because we want to help them. If that were the case, that's not the case. They they purchased a few years ago um, a collection. We'll tell you about it here in a second. And it cost them, I think, nine million dollars. And it was worth every single penny. This museum, if you don't know anything about it, it is the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Museum. It's up in Springfield. It's just last week was voted the best uh, museum in Illinois. 
And it's, I mean, it is like a real presidential uh, museum that they're building now. I mean, it, it, it has the largest collection of Lincoln papers and artifacts in the world. Uh, it has 40,000 square feet of just galleries, then theaters, then artifact displays. They have a reproduction of the White House of what it looked like in 1861. Um, they have these things where they're, you know, talking about the, you know, the ghosts in the library that that um, teach kids, you know, the importance of libraries and, and museums because museums are just they're I mean, they're awful. They're awful. They're not anymore. And the guy who is really um, heading this effort and really uh, making sure that this library uh, remains the best uh, museum in Illinois is uh, the guy who actually was the founding director of the George W. Bush Library here in Dallas, uh, which is an incredible library. His name is uh, Alan Lowe, the executive director, and he joins us now. Hello, Alan. Great to be with you, Glenn. Um, I, first of all, I, I want to fully disclose to the audience uh, so they don't think something funny is going on. You are bringing <laughs> you are bringing some of these Lincoln artifacts yourself down to our pop up museum um, here in a couple of weeks. And we are thrilled. But I I want, as I said to you before, and I want the audience to know, I am such a fan of what Alan and, and the Lincoln Presidential Library is doing. And these items must remain in their hands that I want to expose you and help you in any way to raise to raise money to keep these items uh, in any way I can, Alan. So well, thank you so much, Glenn. That, that, that is so important to us to, to keep that Lincoln legacy here together for our visitors, for researchers. Uh, we're the place uh, where that that legacy is preserved and perpetuated. So we greatly appreciate your help. And I'm very excited about bringing some items down here in just uh, a week or so. So l- let's talk a little bit about the, the items that you you bought. Uh, the foundation paid $23 million for the taper collection. You have an, right. an, a, like a $9 million bill on this. It, worth every penny. Can you tell me the things that you bought in that collection? Sure. It's, it's an amazing collection of artifacts and documents about Abraham and Mary Lincoln. Uh, it includes, you're right, his stovepipe hat, one of the three known st- to still be in existence. It includes the gloves that were in his pocket the night of the assassination, covered with his blood, the, the fan that Mary was carrying that night, uh, the presidential seal he used in the White House, uh, documents going back to his youth, including the earliest known piece of writing where he was practicing his mathematics as a, mm-hmm. we think, maybe a 13- or 14-year-old young man, all the way through his presidency to the end of his life. So it just goes on and on, a great selection of, Abra- of Mary Lincoln documents as well. Including her uh, fan a- that she had that night as she was sitting in the theater? That's right, with, with, uh, with blood stains on the fan, sadly. So... Um, it goes on and on. Uh, Who did this come from? Of, How did this collection sure. come together? So a uh, collector in California put it together over the years. And this, uh, the Abraham Lincoln Library Museum, was established in 2005. Uh, and in 2007, the state asked the foundation to consider purchasing that private collection, the Taper Collection. Uh, and they did, as you said, they purchased it for $23 million. They've paid it down now to a nine, $9.7 million still remains to be paid. And that's our, our current, our, our big, big challenge right, right now. And people can help you by, you know, just being a, 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 you know, a foundation member and actually giving money. That's how this, this was purchased. 
um, in the first place is with the foundation. And, and uh, it, there's nothing you can do that I think is more important uh, than preserving American history, especially when it is, um, you know, not in the hands. Uh, and I don't want to involve you in politics here, Alan, but not in the hands of of um, of universities that sometimes will have these huge collections and it will lock it up and you won't see it. And this is all about Abraham Lincoln. So this these are always going to be seen because Abraham Lincoln is the topic of this museum. Um, I always say, you know, we are we're not here just to be a warehouse. We want yeah. to obviously preserve these items. but We want them to be used and to be seen. So tell me about the um, you guys are coming down to um, the, you know, our, our, our cute little pop up museum uh, yeah. and you're bringing the um, handwritten Gettysburg address. That's right. Tell me That's about right. that. So, of course. So. The, the original Gettysburg Address, we're not quite sure what happened to it. You know, Mr. Lincoln was very good with the press. And one theory is that as he left the stage, he handed it to a member of the media, and, and it's disappeared into history. But there were, there were a few copies he wrote out by hand afterwards. And the copy we have, he wrote out for Edward Everett, you know, who's the main speaker that day at Gettysburg. And uh, not long after, Everett asked Mr. Lincoln to write down his remarks, which he did, sent to Mr. Everett, who pasted them in a book, with some other things from that day, which I think he sold to help uh, veterans of the war. Uh, in the 1940s, uh, the school children of Illinois, uh, along with Mr. Marshall Field, helped purchase that copy of the Gettysburg Address for our predecessor agency, was the Illinois Historical Library. So um, we have that in our collection. It's in his hand, hand it's his handwritten copy of it, and it's a pretty awesome thing to see. Uh, it kind of brings us to tears every time we we open that box. And it's one of those things that you, at least my age, we had to memorize when we were in school. Oh, very much so. I'll tell you, the international reach of this man, uh, when I started here in 2016, that December, the outgoing Secretary General of the UN came through here, and he was on his way back to South Korea. When we got to the Gettysburg Address area of our museum, he turned to me and recited the Gettysburg Address from memory. He uh, learned it as a young student in Korea. Uh, so you see that, that that is the probably the most famous speech in perhaps world history. Yeah, we were we were uh, talking we about it, that just the other day. We were wondering, it's the most famous, got to be the most famous speech in at yeah. least America. Uh, yeah, and at I least, yeah. I can't think of any, I can't even think of anything close. And we were talking about this, that it's it's like, well... You know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall or, yeah. you know, you know, the moonshot or nothing to fear but fear itself. But those yeah. we know those because there was the press that could replay them over and over and over again. So we hear those. This There was no press that was playing this over and over again. This one was we picked it up because it was so powerful. And we said we should learn this. It helped define America in a way it became in my mind, like a charter document. You know, Lincoln loved the Declaration of Independence. He said every thought, every political thought he had emanated from that document. And I really put the Gettysburg Address on, uh, right up on that pedestal with the Declaration of defining what America means to us and to the world. Helen, are you, are you surprised at all of, uh, about how many people, um, I, I mean, I, I had never heard this till I moved down to the South. And I moved down to the South, you know, these people, you'll meet these people and they'll be like, Abraham Lincoln, I can't believe you like Abraham Lincoln. You're like, wait, yeah, yeah. what? The, uh, the war of northern aggression. I've heard that. Yeah, before. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there are people that still really do not like Abraham Lincoln. And they say it's because he violated the Constitution in all sorts of ways. Right. 
Well, we, you know, we hear that every now and then, suspending the writ of habeas corpus, and, you know, he did jail certain war opponents, and, you know, he, he talks about that as he goes to the presidency, why he's taking these steps to save the Constitution, to save the Union, he had to take certain steps, uh, kind of an existential crisis, right? So you had to do certain things, but he knew he was kind of trotting along the line there of what was constitutional and what was not, uh, all to preserve this last best hope of man. So uh, I do hear that sometimes. You hear sometimes, well, he was a racist and so on and so forth. And my uh, initial response to that always is, come here. Come see these exhibits. Come use these archives. Come, you know, take part in our programs. Really learn about the man, what he stood for, and you'll see that's all wrong. I will tell you uh, that uh, yeah. we have a piece through Harlan Crow. I don't know. I'm sure you know him. Uh, I do, yeah. And uh, Harlan has collected this amazing writing from Abraham Lincoln long before he was uh, president of the United States, trying to, as an attorney, explain to the American people why slavery is wrong and how... You know, people are people, and uh, it, it debunks everything that you hear, and yet somehow or another that racist, he didn't care about the slaves, he didn't care about black people story is is the winning one right now. Yeah, he said if slavery's not wrong, then nothing's wrong. And what you see, though, with Lincoln is a real, uh, despite what some of his critics say, a real adherence to the Constitution. So he knew, sadly... Uh, that some protection had been written into the original Constitution. And so when he went into office, as you know, what he said is, slavery will not spread, right? And then the hope was, over time, it would, it would be extinguished. Uh, now, he realized also that's why he so supported the 13th Amendment, is he knew the Emancipation Proclamation was a wartime measure done as commander-in-chief. How do you make sure that the stain of slavery is removed from that Constitution? That was the 13th Amendment. Any doubt in your mind that if Abraham Lincoln would have lived that reconstruction and all of those dark times would have been different no doubt no doubt in my mind no doubt in my mind and i will tell you one man who deserves more credit than he gets is ulysses grant for what he did try to do uh to remain true to what he saw as lincoln's vision um in helping uh the freedman and helping re- rebuild the south and so forth but uh, yeah, i have no doubt that it would have been a much different place if lincoln had survived alan thank you so much god bless you and we'll we'll talk again see you next week Look forward to it. You bet. Thanks, Glenn. You bet. Alan Lowe, he's the executive director of the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum, uh, and uh, he's joining us. Um, and he'll be he'll be here. I, I think I think he's required to be with the Gettysburg Address the whole time. So you're going to be able to talk to him and ask him. Considering how chocolatey your hands get from the chocolate bars you're eating all the time, he should be around yeah. those documents. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I could not eat chocolate that. No. All right. Anyway, June 15th through the 17th. Tickets are on sale right now. You can come and join us. Mercury1.org slash museum 2018. Makes a great Father's Day uh, gift. It's Father's Day weekend, June 15th through the 17th. I'll be there, and I hope to see you there. Grab your tickets now. All right. Uh, let's, Let's talk a little bit about the future. Uh, yesterday, we talked to you about this new computer that is a million point zero eight percent faster than the computer that was um, uh, was deemed a um, national security threat. And that was the Apple G4 when it first came online. You couldn't you couldn't ship that computer outside because it was deemed a supercomputer. So it couldn't leave the confines of the United States. Well, now this one is a million percent faster. Uh, the 
Apple was $10,000 when it came out, and this one is $1,000 now. Think of this with technology. Everything is going to be moving so fast, and then the world is changing. So currency, what happens with that? Cryptocurrency and blockchain, they are the future. It is, one way or another, this is going to happen. It's, I mean, God forbid they're state crypto, but uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain is something that you need to understand. We are not experts on it, but we found one. Tika Tuari, he's from the Palm Beach Letter, and, and he put together a crypto master course that I would really like you to take if you're thinking about buying or selling or just want to understand the new technology it's all about blockchain. It's all about crypto. And you can take the course now at smartcryptocourse.com. Smartcryptocourse.com. Or call 877-PBL-BECK. That's 877-PBL-BECK. Smartcryptocourse.com. Glenn Beck. You know, you have a guy like Abraham Lincoln who dies and... Uh, you know, his obituary is still being written and the lives that he changed. And then you have people like Kathleen Schunk. Did you see the obituary written by her children uh, after she died? She just died. Uh, she was 80 years old. Kathleen Schunk, born March 19th, 1938 to Joseph and Gertrude Schunk. She married Dennis Demlo at St. Anne's uh, in 1957 and had two children, Gina and Jay. In 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother, Lyle. Hmm? What was that last? 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother, Lyle. Oh, okay. That's and, moved, and moved to California. Okay. She abandoned her children, Gina. Hmm? She what now? She abandoned her children, Gina okay. and Jay. Mm -hmm. uh, they were raised by her parents. Okay, that's... So she she slept with the husband's brother, had a, and then again got to, pregnant, and then moved, moved to California, to California and abandoned, and the, abandoned kids. the kids. Who she just left them with grandma and grandpa. Seems like you might want to leave this out of the obituary. She passed away on May thirty first, twenty eighteen, in Springfield, and will now face judgment. <laughs> she will not be missed by Gina and Jay. Wow. And they understand that this world is a better place without her. Holy crap. <laughs> Holy cow. I mean, that I I do find some humor uh, in that, although it's very it's sad. It's tragically <laughs> sad. Yeah. You imagine? I mean, first of all, it's, it's sad for one reason. I mean, you know, in 1962, she moved away from her kids. So think about, I mean, you know, her, her kids are at least my age. And uh, and they're just and they're this pissed still. You hope you have time to repair relationships like that. Yeah, well, she did. She had time. she didn't take it apparently. That's what I mean. Yeah, you know, you, you, you want to. I don't know. That's one of the goals you have in life, right? I mean, I'm sure there's people you don't get along with. Like at some point, you want to try to revisit those things if you can. Well, if they're valuable. If you're I mean, kids. at least at least just so you don't get an obituary like this. <laughs> You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. 64-year-old Cleveland man suing U.S. Customs and Border Protection after agents strip-searched him at the airport in October and took more than $58,000 in cash from him without charging him with any crime. 
This according to a federal lawsuit. Customs agents seized the money through a process known as civil asset forfeiture, a law enforcement technique that allows authorities to take cash and property from people who are never convicted or even charged with a crime. I've had a bunch of these two that are uh, one's more egregious than the next. So tell me about this story, Pat, because you've been Pat Gray joins us. You've been following this story. 64 year old guy. Yeah. Uh, heading back to his native country of Albania. And he uh, wanted to put a down payment on a on a retirement home. He, he wanted to retire on the Adriatic Sea. And he said some of his relatives were really struggling hard. And so he was going to help them. And so he took his entire life savings, converted it to cash, fifty eight thousand one hundred dollars. And uh, left it, put it in his, put it in three envelopes that he carefully counted several times, and then uh, put it, put the three different stacks into one envelope, labeled it fifty eight thousand one hundred. And when they saw it go through, because he had it in the carry on, you wouldn't want to put that in your luggage; that'll be taken by somebody. But uh, it was taken anyway, of course, because he put his bag through the scanner, and they saw that there was cash there, and they confiscated it. Just took it. And eventually they gave him a receipt for U.S. currency. Didn't say how much. Didn't say when he'd get it back. Didn't say what he was being charged with. <laughs> In fact, he wasn't being charged with anything. Uh, they just took it. And so it's been like six weeks now since that happened. He still hasn't gotten a penny of his money back. They have absolutely zero evidence against him or his family that this is any kind of drug-involved money. In fact... I mean, from the circumstances, you can I mean, it's obvious he's just an Albanian American who was going home and wanted to use his own money that he worked his entire life for. He speaks very little English uh, and uh, had a real tro- a real problem at the airport. And I don't know if that how much that contributed to it, but he's got a lawyer now and he's got um, uh, he's got some justice uh, organization that's trying to help him get this money back okay so here's here's the here's the interesting thing guy comes into the airport has an envelope fifty eight thousand dollars we now know that in the minneapolis st paul airport over the last four years literally millions of dollars in cash in suitcases carry-ons have been taken out of this country and gone into hostile regions of the world to Yemen. They were on their way to Yemen. That's not forfeited. Why? Wait, I can take a million dollars in cash on my way to Yemen mm-hmm. and I'm not stopped. It's not civil asset forfeiture. How is that possible? I, I think this is an evil law and it needs to be overturned. But instead, it's going the other way. President Trump and Jeff Sessions in particular are in favor of making this easier to confiscate people's money. It's wrong. 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 The reason is, you know, look, it makes it easier for law enforcement to, uh, you know, stop someone uh, who is not, uh, who might be guilty of something, but there's not enough evidence to actually convict them. Wait. (laughs) Then they shouldn't be. Then they're not guilty. Convicted. Right. right. If you can't mm, seems make like a the case, guys. yeah, you can't make a case. No, if you can't make the you case, case, you don't have a case. We we put this. Why we put Al Capone in prison for income tax evasion? We could not mm-hmm. make the case because he wasn't killing anybody, and anybody who wanted to testify against him ended up dead. 
So we had to go after him for income tax evasion. That's what you do. You find where they are breaking the law and you make that case. You can't just take people. Well, we couldn't make the case. Well, then you don't have a case. <laughs> I mean, how many how many law and orders do we need to watch where they're like, you got nothing. Get out of my office. I mean, there are, you know, they're all <laughs> every law show is always showing the prosecutor mm-hmm. saying you're bringing me this crap. I got nothing. I can't go before a judge and say all of this. I got nothing. I don't know why he sounds like Jimmy Durante all of a sudden. But <laughs> but that is it. I mean, it, they, it, that's an inconvenience for many to actually have to prove those cases. And look, you know, I, especially with this one, there doesn't even seem to be an attempt at a case. They just no. they found it suspicious. They're and not look, even trying to I, manufacture anything. They're just saying we. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. This was a uh, smuggling drug trafficking money laundering situation if they don't get this Based under control what? if they don't stop this the american people this will be something that turns the american people against their government mm-hmm. because if it, and starts, it should be if it keeps going yes like this. if it keeps going it like this, it's got to stop it's got to stop if people start saying average person that you know and they're like dude the government just seized my bank account and mm-hmm. took all of my money Americans will start to see this is going to happen to me, and it will be over. And how they many will times, rise up. How many times have we talked about this? There was the guy, I think he had a pizza restaurant, mm-hmm. remember? And he was making deposits in his bank of cash that he received during the course of the day or week. And then he would go to the bank and deposit $9,000 at a time because he was told, deposit 10000 in cash, and they're going to... Uh, they're going to think you're doing something seedy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they they confiscated his money thirty because it some like, thousand dollars because it looked like he. Why does he keep doing nine thousand nine hundred dollars every right, time? Because right, he was right. told. Because he was told <laughs> right. that's how you do it. Or, um, did we even do the story on the air? Because this is an amazing one of what Chicago is doing to its residents uh, with a very similar uh, concept with cars impounding cars. What they're doing is they like for example, there's this guy who um, he ran an auto repair sort of business and person comes in with their car uh it's getting fixed he needs to bring him back to work so guy hops in his car he takes his own car his own personal car drives this guy back to work on the ride he gets pulled over and that guy his passenger who he doesn't even know he's just a customer has a, a, a drugs in his pocket they impound his car the guy who owns the auto repair business they impound his personal vehicle and they hold it behind closed doors with a massive payment to get to free it and then charge him storage every day. So it's thousands and thousands, much more than the value of his piece of crap car at this point. Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And he can't get his car back. He, they're putting him out of work because he can't get back and forth to work. Is this still going on? It was as a few weeks ago. It was nothing I printed out for prep. I don't think we ever got to. Let's call him. I never heard that. Let's call him. Let's get him on. Incredible. And they had multiple stories just like it from Chicago. And it was all uh, under the pretense of they can't pay their bills in Chicago anymore. So this is what they're trying to do to take people's money is impound everything for every reason to charge exorbitant fees and take regular people's money who either did something very minor or nothing at all. It's not America. Civil asset forfeiture, it's coming because we can't. We're not going to be able to pay our bills. We're not. The cities and the states are not going to be able to pay the bills. I got news for you. You're not going to pay the bills by taking $58,000 from 
every American. No, no, no. You're still not going to pay our bills. You're going to have to start civil asset forfeiture in China and (laughs) India and all of Asia. I mean, and you look at that case with the Albanian guy on the airplane, and, like, you might say, well, I don't know. It does sound a little suspicious. Why is this guy bringing $58,000 to Albania? Now, to me, it's his freaking right. It's his freaking money. He can fly wherever the hell he wants with as much money as he wants. Seems totally reasonable that he wants to buy a home. Right. So he wants to buy a home. Just a second. We used to be the country where we didn't trust the banks, and so we would put our cash in our mattress. Now the government can come into your house for any reason, they just have a you know they just have a feeling you're doing something wrong. And they find cash in your house, they can take it. Yeah, and they can take it. You're told to keep the receipts because that will be your proof that you had it legitimately. He had 13 years of documents with the bank that he kept meticulously and showed them, and still didn't get his money back. Yeah, and if you are the person who thinks that you know it's a little suspicious, I mean, they kind of explained it in the article. Apparently, the Albanian banking process maybe not as uh, mm-hmm. buttoned up as America. So, which is why he didn't trust. Oh, it. So, yeah. in other words, so in other words, if you had money in the bank and you wanted to transfer it, somebody, maybe even a government official, <laughs> might, might take, take it. it yeah, and then, without explanation, uh, that could never, that could happen, never happen here. here. <laughs> That's the good thing. That's why he did it, though. Yeah. I mean, he didn't think it could ever happen here, and then yet Amazing. here it it has happened here. How sad. How, how un-American. How un-American and how sad. Oh, and we're, you know, it's, a, it's an immigrant. We hate immigrants. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, I, you know what makes me the most sad is, well, what makes me frightened is this, is this growing out of control. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem to be stopping and doesn't seem like anybody in power wants it to stop. Um, but what makes me sad about this is here's a guy who worked hard his whole life and was probably going home. With a great story to tell about America and how different things are in right. America and how yeah. great things are right. in America. And look at me. I was able to save $58,000. Right. What You know, you guys stayed here and you're really struggling and I'm able to come back and help you. And right. America has its problems, but boy, is it, you know, it's better than this. Yeah. And this happens on your way out. Building the American dream <laughs> so we can crush it. And you <laughs> and your family. <laughs> I mean, probably the right answer here is that it never happens, right? You take the mm-hmm. money after you convict them, period. No, it was a good idea at the time. Um, you know, when I was, what, 18 or something when they started doing this? When did they start? When did they? When did this start with the drug lords? 80s? 90s? Probably in there, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was in the early mm-hmm. 80s, but maybe it was in the 90s. But when they started when they started doing this, you know, you were like, yeah, well, that's good because the drug lords, they're really bad. No, no. First, they came for the drug lords. (laughs) Then they come for you at the airport. (laughs) More on Pat Gray Unleashed coming up here in a few moments on the Blaze Radio and TV networks. You can also subscribe to the podcast and listen whenever you want on iTunes and wherever else you get your podcasts. That's an amazing one. I mean, there's tons of these stories, man. And look, you know, you can say a lot of times, it's not, you know, it's, it is, are, they are drug dealers. They are criminals. And if you like the asset forfeiture law, laws, you can say there are good uses of it, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm a little iffy on that. But no, still. No, no, yeah. no. You are innocent until proven right. guilty. And that's what it trumps it all to me. But still, if even if you believe that it's necessary at times for certain reasons, there are thousands of abuse stories of this, and those need to be corrected. There's no reason to be strengthening these laws. At the very least, it should be at, at the very last resort. 
if you want to even consider it. I don't particularly want to, but if you want to, it should be a last resort process, not something we jump to every time you get pulled over because they're able to do it. That's what happened to a couple in Texas. Yeah, it's happened in Texas. They're driving a lot. Yeah, A couple driving in Texas. Uh, I think they were on their way to... For an adoption uh, thing, and uh, they had ten thousand dollars in the car, lost it, never got it back. I mean, what is happening to us? All right, let me tell you about Goldline. As we're thinking about uh, paper money and uh, banking and all of that stuff, you know, a little physical gold, you know, might might not be such a bad idea. Inflation is rising. And one of the few investments that can thrive in inflation is gold. It's one of the major reasons that I own it. I don't want to wake up one day and find out that my dollars are worthless due to inflation and I have no asset to protect me. Now, if you think this can't happen, uh, didn't we just say that with civil asset forfeiture? Other countries have had such bad inflation that they've had to print new denominations just to keep up. One of those countries is Venezuela. Another one is Zimbabwe. Goldline is going to give you a free Zimbabwean $10 billion <laughs> banknote. Yes, it's a $10 billion de- a bill, a bill. You keep that in your wallet. All you have to do is just call them and speak to one of their uh, executives and talk to them about um, buying gold or silver and find out if it's right for you. They're not going to sell you on it today. They don't want you to buy anything today. You just call them and ask for their information. Also ask them for the banknote because it's kind of cool to have. 866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE. Find out if gold or silver is right for you at goldline.com. Read their important risk information. Make sure that it's right for you at 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Glad we're finally done with the show. I got to get over to IHOP. No, it's IHOP. It's IHOP. IHOP. I'm not going to buy into this. This is a marketing scam. I won't buy in. What are you talking about? It used to be International House of Pancakes. It was so for 60 years. Now it's International House of B. <laughs> it's IHOB. Uh, They're now saying it's IHOB. Right. And I, people are saying, my, my initial guess was International House of Breakfast. Because they do have things other than pancakes as someone who goes to IHOB several yeah, but if times you're thinking, a day. If you're, <laughs> it's, it's like saying I go to the <laughs> McDonald's Playland as an adult. Anyway, um, you know, if you're saying International House of Pancakes, I would think that I could go there any time and get pancakes. Yes. If it's International House of Breakfast, I just think of getting the riot act read to me by the McDonald's people. The, the I'm sorry, but the griddles are off. We are now serving lunch. Right. Well, this is, of course, you could go anytime per, per day and get breakfast, but that's been the kind of the policy of IHOP for a long time so i think i think you might be right because you say marketing scheme i think they might be changing into like for a month international house of bacon or something yeah and then they're introducing some new line of something right belgian waffles it's international of ihob because our belgian waffles are so good it's interesting because they do that all the time and ihop it's one of the things i actually like about it because they are always every month or so they have a new kind of crazy pancake or french toast or something Mm. i was there i happened to be there very recently (laughs) uh and they had the english sticky toffee pancakes oh my oh my oh my i have not been delicious i have not been to an ihop in i don't know how long i used to go with my grandparents all the time we used to go all the time back in the uh when we were in new haven connecticut there was one uh, down the road from our station and we would actually go there and get omelets 
Did we? Yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> that was wasn't like memorable apparently for you. <laughs> oh, no. yeah. You were hammered every day. <laughs> why, why else would you be an IHOP? <laughs> I got a, a sticky one. Well, that's because you vomited on it. <laughs> okay, okay. It is very sticky, though. <laughs> International House of... <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it actually stands for now. Right. International House of... <laughs> <laughs> International House of... <laughs> it's a new IHOP. It doesn't have a good flow to it. The IHOP, no. it sounds... No, it's a scam. You watch. It's a marketing scam. They're introducing something. Don't don't buy into this whole, we're changing our name. No, they're not. Glenn Beck. Mercury. 